0: may be seated. One of my favorite things about Sunday morning is singing worship uh, songs with you and being able to join together and hear the voices of God's people together. And so thank you. Uh, It is a great privilege to worship. I want to thank you, the worship team, for just all of their work and bringing these opportunities together for us and, and letting us able to enjoy that with them. And, um, this morning, I want to invite you to join me in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah chapter 4. And uh, while you find your way there, I just want to mention uh, really what a blessing and what a wonderful time we had at our baptism last week. And if I just want to mention that if you are one of those who are baptized or one of your your children was, the the baptism certificates that we filled out uh, can be found just outside the office. There's a little ledge um, outside the office window right out here in the foyer. So if you uh, think of it, grab it on your way out today. We want to make sure you take that home with you and uh, just remember that time. The title of today's message is Resenting Grace. Jonah here Despite all that uh, he had encountered, despite all that he had seen from Almighty God and his love, he struggled to accept the grace that was demonstrated towards the Ninevites, as we're going to see this week, and then we'll finish up this series next week in chapter four here. So if you found your place in Jonah, I'm actually going to back up just a little bit to give us context into chapter three and uh, we're going to start reading at verse 6, just to provide a little bit of the backdrop of their repentance before we flow into chapter 4 here. And so it says in verse, chapter 3, verse 6, when word reached the king of Nineveh, that is of Jonah's message, Jonah's preaching, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh by order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, "'Herd or flock is to taste anything at all. "'They must not eat or drink water. "'Furthermore, both people and animals "'must be covered with sackcloth, "'and everyone must call out earnestly to God, "'each turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. "'Who knows? "'God may turn and relent. "'He may turn from his burning anger "'so that we will not perish. "'God saw their actions.' that they had turned from their evil ways, and so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew, I knew that you're a gracious And compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? And so Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. This passage is incredibly startling, especially if you've never read the book of Jonah. Most of us are familiar with it here. Even if you weren't before this series, you're pretty familiar with it now. And and you read a passage like this, and, and you think, okay, happy ending. They, they repented, and the prophet's going to celebrate God's grace in their life. And you couldn't have a, a more, more of a stark, startling response out of the prophet than what happens here. Right after the repentance, and God Relenting from his anger and and the punishment that he was about to just pour out upon the Ninevites right after that we see Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious what what a what an incredible uh and shocking statement that that Jonah could behold such unbelievable kindness from God, not only in his life in chapter 2, but then here now to the Ninevites, and he was angry. In fact, the Hebrew is a little bit interesting. The, the author, the author um, pairs together some, some language, and so it, it, it really adds emphasis to Jonah's attitude. It really says, it, was, it could be literally translated, it was displeasing to Jonah greatly displeasing, or another translator puts it this way. He said, it was evil to Jonah, a great evil, and it burned to him. Jonah finds Nineveh's deliverance worse than the divine judgment that had threatened its existence. Jonah was burning with anger. He was on fire that Nineveh was not on fire. What made him so angry? (laughs) Simply that the Ninevites repented and that God did not wipe them out. One commentator writes, In a fit of anger, Jonah objects to God's clemency, finally revealing that his problem with Yahweh's commission from the very beginning was his fear that divine justice would suffer at the hands of divine mercy. And since his worst fears have been realized, Jonah asks to die. In a, in a sense, Jonah here, and, and what we're seeing here is, and if you're taking notes here, is that Jonah resented God's mercy towards sinners. Jonah was angry that this God would be merciful to people he didn't think deserved mercy. And this is what he says here. He makes this, he makes a Beautiful declaration that you may may sound familiar to you in verse two. He says, "I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from disaster." That phrase is a quote from Exodus chapter thirty-four. Do you remember the the context? Do you remember? Do you remember when God declared? himself in this way. He says, it says, the Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on their children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. You see, Jonah had hoped for that latter part of that phrase, and that latter part of that passage in Exodus 34, where he wanted God to uh, not leave the guilty unpunished, he was hoping that Nineveh would not repent so that they would receive what they were due. But that wasn't the case. Do you remember the context of that though? Do you remember the context of that declaration in Exodus chapter 34? What big? Does anybody remember what big thing? Had just happened. What big, I'll, I'll give you a hint, what big evil had just happened with the Israelites right before Exodus 34? The golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. And, and the Israelites, I mean, you remember Moses comes down here and, and he sees what's going on. They're all worshiping this calf that they had constructed and he smashes the tablets with the commandments on them and is furious. And what does God do? Yes, there was some punishment, but God forgives them. He renews his relationship with them and his covenant with them. And and he continues to be their God and they his people. And, And in that context, we hear this declaration of God about himself I'm compassionate, I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love and truth. What? declaration. Jonah quotes from that passage, and it's like he forgets, though, the context of it. Israel deserved to be wiped out, and yet they were shown mercy. And, And Jonah does not see himself at all a part of that group of sinners who deserve God's wrath, yet have received God's mercy. He does not see himself anywhere remotely close to the, to, to the Ninevites. For Jonah, there were sinners, and then there were sinners. There were sinners who deserved some mercy, mainly himself and his own people. But then there was a whole bunch of people that didn't deserve God's mercy. The, the, the word that's translated in, in here in Jonah Chapter 4, verse 2, as a faithful love, it may be different in, in your translations. It's, it's the, the, the well-known, well-used, often-used Hebrew word hesed. It, it, it pictures God's covenant love. There's, there's no one translation that minds the depths of this Hebrew word. It's used all over the Old Testament to speak of that, that unrelenting love of God for His people. It, it, it pictures God's covenant love. It, it includes an element of surprise. That like when, when you least expected it, God comes out of nowhere with this, this love, this hessed, this faithful, steadfast, loving kindness. In fact, it's used quite a few times in the Psalms. In Psalm 13, David speaks of this unfailing love of God. And Dale, Reif, da- Dale Ralph Davis writes this. He says, it's not merely love, but it's this loyal love. It's not merely kindness, but it's a, a dependable kindness. It's not merely affection, but affection that has committed itself. It's not simply love, but love that has some stickum on it. Love that refuses to ever let go. And so has said has a sustaining, enduring element about it. That's why the psalmist could write in Psalm 94, 18, if I say, my foot, lip, my foot slips, your said Yahweh, your faithful love holds me up. What's it feel like to be the object of God's faithful love? If you're one of God's children, you know that He has bound himself to you with this covenant love, this love that has stickum on it, this love that will never let us go, no matter how, how far we try to run, like Jonah. I came across an illustration that pictured this. It's a little story about a William Still who was a pastor years and years ago in Aberdeen in Scotland. And he recalls a period when the dominant theme of his preaching seemed to be judgment and hell and the consequences of turning a deaf ear to the gospel. And he kept hammering away at this. He was convicted that the Lord had led him to do so, but he knew it was getting the people down. Mr. Still had a dear aunt who served him as a cook and a housekeeper and helped him with different tasks throughout the week. And one Sunday at lunch during his hell as the theme du jour period, she voiced her concern. She said, I'm sitting there with them in the pew and taking it all in. She went on, oh, I feel for them, oh, Willie. There's no love, is there no love in the gospel? William still admitted that her question had shaken him, but he responded that he could preach nothing except for what God had laid on his heart. Well, his aunt replied, if it goes on, there'll soon be no one there but you and me. Will you desert me then, Mr. Still asked. Never, she shot back. I committed myself to you and to the Lord's work here, and I will never leave you. That's Hesed. And if you're not swallowed up by the darkness or swept away by the distress, it will be because in the midst of it all, you have a God and a Savior who says, I have committed myself to you, and I will never leave you. Be assured that the unfailing love of God makes all the difference in our life. In those moments of darkness, in those moments of fear and worry and doubt, turn back to the chesed, the unfailing love of God. But for Jonah, this was not a a good thing. For what should have been good news, the steadfast love of God made him angry and resentful because he looked at the Ninevites and he looked at God and he said, I knew that's what you were going to do. I knew you were going to forgive these rotten sinners and I'm so angry about it. You see, if Jonah sounds familiar to you right now, it's because there's a little bit of this Jonah in all of our hearts. Jesus talked about this, this person in a parable in Luke 15. In the story of what we call the prodigal son. We see this, this unbelievable mercy and grace poured out by the father to this son who had lived a wicked, wicked life and had squandered everything that he had so rudely and arrogantly and presumptuously asked his father for. And then he comes back and the father restores him to his status as a son. And if you're on one side of that equation and that story, you're rejoicing and say, wow, that's beautiful. God's grace poured out to the undeserving. But there's someone on the other side, isn't there? There's an older brother who, like Jonah, is ticked. I have been faithful. I have obeyed you, Father. I didn't go squander wealth. I didn't turn my back on you. Where is justice? I have earned your love. This guy has learned, earned everything but your love. He has earned your justice, your wrath. If we're honest today, if we sit back and can see our heart as God sees our heart, there's at least a little bit of an older brother lurking somewhere. For some of us, there's a lot of bit of the older brother lurking, the Jonah, the one with our arms crossed, looking down our nose at other recipients of God's grace, those who are blessed in various ways and we're shaking our head thinking, no, not them, not them. Are you kidding me, God? They do not deserve it. Have you seen this? Do you know what they posted on Facebook this week? Do you, know, do you know what they do when they're not around church people? Are you kidding me, God? And so we despise the goodness and the kindness of our Lord. But it wasn't just that Jonah resented God's mercy towards sinners. Secondly, though, We see that Jonah resented God's mercy towards Gentiles specifically. This is something that we haven't really touched on yet, but notice verse 2. It said, He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not why I left my country? This is why I made haste to flee Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful We get now a glimpse for the first time as to why Jonah disobeyed in chapter 1. Chapter 1 doesn't tell us. He hears the commission from God and he's just gone. He takes off. It's not until we get to chapter 4 that we get a little peek at Jonah's heart. And what we see here is someone who does not only not, does not only just not want to see what he perceives as people more wicked than him be recipients of God's mercy, but Gentiles too. Re- remember, I, we said it the first week, but I'll just remind you. But the, that Jonah Jonah's commission was really unusual. There were many times prophets were called to pronounce judgment to foreign nations, but it was always like from a distance. It was always from back home in Judah or in Israel. And these judgments were from afar. Jonah is the only prophet that we know of that was told by God to actually go and take that message to them and to proclaim a gospel, proclaim forgiveness of sins to a foreign nation. You see, the Israelites were very ethnocentric. They were very much like And we we see it so much in Jesus' days, right? The way they looked down their noses at the Gentiles and and, and even the Samaritans who were like half-Jewish. They they had this this sort of baked-in racism in a lot of ways that that we deserve God's love, but not those people over there. Jonah did not want to see these pagan Gentiles come to Christ. Now... In Jonah's defense, again, remember, just like the Ninevites weren't just Gentiles, they were—they they were particularly wicked. They were uniquely wicked people. We said the first week that the, the Assyrians were noted for intimidating uh, other nations that they were going to conquer because they had they would be so barbaric to other other nations that they had conquered that word would spread. That these guys, I mean, they literally made pyramids of skulls, stacks of skulls outside of some of the cities, just as trophy cases for what they had done. The the way that they treated their enemies was, it it took warfare and wickedness to a a, a whole new level. And so then word would get around and they could come into a country and said, hey, do you want to... Uh, Do you want to just let us in, or do you want to fight? And they'll be like, "Uh, we heard the reports. We'll just go ahead and let you in. They didn't want to be victims. So Jonah Jonah knew the notoriety of the Assyrians and the Ninevites. He knew about their wickedness. He also knew this, that in Isaiah chapter chapter 7 and 8, and in Hosea, these would have been written either before or at the time of Jonah, it had been prophesied that the Assyrians were going to come in and conquer Israel. So Jonah knew that he was being asked to take the gospel to people who would in the very near future be Israel's conquerors. So I've been really hard on Jonah throughout this whole process. You've heard me be really tough on him. But let's just put ourselves in his shoes for just a second. Okay, let's... Let's bring it into modern day, a modern day example. Imagine that, that we as, as, a, as a church, the, the church in the United States, we knew that God had, had delivered a prophecy through a, a prophet that we were going to be in the near future wiped out by the Taliban, that America was going to be conquered by the Taliban. You knew it was from God. You knew it was inevitable. It was going to come to pass. You didn't know when. But then God comes to you one evening as you're having your, your uh, well, let's say morning, your morning coffee and your morning devotional, and you're just enjoying this beautiful time in your favorite chair out in, on your porch, It's this beautiful sunrise, this awesome quiet time with God, and you hear the audible voice of God. Your name is called, and God says, I want you to to go take the gospel to the Taliban. I want you to uproot from where you are right now and immediately go proclaim to the Taliban the good news of Jesus Christ. You know that at any time, these are going to be the people that wipe out your people, that take your friends and family captive. How how would you feel? What What would be going on in your heart and mind? I want to cut Jonah a little bit of slack here, knowing that all of us would, to put it mildly, would at least be struggling with the commission, if not outright looking for that, maybe not a a ship fare, but looking for that plane ticket to the furthest portion of the world that you could hide from this calling. I want to get away from this. What's ironic in all of this is that Nineveh did what Israel was not doing in Jonah's day. Remember, in Jonah's day, they were were on a full-scale sprint away from God, worshiping Baal and other graven images. They wanted nothing to do with God. Jonah is called to take the message to someone else who wanted nothing to do with God, and they repented and turned to God. God and did what Israel should have been doing, but wasn't doing. It is a big, mixed-up, convoluted, just turning everything on its head for Jonah. I'm preaching to people that I shouldn't be preaching to. They're responding to the gospel that they shouldn't be responding to. And here I'm I'm not preaching to my own people. but They're not turning to God. What's going on? Jonah was going out of his mind. At the core of it all, I think Jonah was resenting the sovereignty of God. And that's the third thing that I want to point out this morning. Jonah resented God's sovereignty. You see, Jonah makes this angry declaration in verse verse 2. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to be kind to these people. And he was so angry. In verse 3, it says, and now, Lord, take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. What (laughs) we see here just how, how upside down Jonah's heart is. He was so angry that God was kind to the Ninevites that he just wanted to die and get it over with. This is the second time in the book that he just wanted to die. This is too much for me, God. And then God comes to him. Again, we just see God pursuing him. We see the heart of God in his loving, just not giving up on Jonah. God could have just said, I'm done with you. Forget this. All you do is complain. But again, God comes to him and he says, is it right for you to be angry? Is it, is it, are you justified, Jonah? Should you be feeling this way? Jonah doesn't answer, but the implied answer is, yes, yes, it is right for me to feel this way. You see, at the core right here, Jonah feels like he knows better than God. He thinks that God should listen to his plan for the Ninevites. You know, sometimes we look around and we see what God's doing. We see the kinds of people that God uses or the kinds of people that God saves. And and we may, like Jonah, feel that older brother heart rising up and saying, it's not right, God. At the core of that, that's me saying, I know better than you, God. Your plans are not wise. Your ways are not good. And we resent the sovereignty of God. How many of us here have been disappointed because we didn't feel like God acted the way that we felt like He should? I bet if we took time to give testimonies, we, we would have the. Uh, every, one, every one of us could share a prayer that was not answered the way that we thought it should be answered. A time when God did not show up the way that we thought he should show up. You see, I, I think maybe for the atheist, I mean, I, I grew up in a Christian home and I've never been on that side of the fence as. But I would think for an atheist, maybe this question is not not a a pertinent issue. I mean, you don't even believe that there's a God, and so you're not going to get frustrated with him because he doesn't exist. But for the follower of Christ, if you walk with Jesus long enough, this question, this frustration, this anger will arise in your heart at some point. At some point, we'll get to a place where we think, Come on, God. Have you not seen what I've done for you? Have you not seen my faithfulness? How I've tithed every week? Yet my finances are still struggling. We took our kids to church faithfully, yet I have a child who's walking away from the Lord. I prayed and I prayed and prayed, and yet my spouse still left. What's the deal here, God? And we question and we wonder at the goodness and this steadfast love of God. See, it's easy to think that we can put God in our debt. We know better than to say that theologically or say that out loud, right? But we can do that in our heart. God, this is not fair. You owe me because. You see, God has said in in several places in Scripture, we see it in Romans 9, He says, I have mercy on whom I have mercy. I have compassion on whom I have compassion. God says, listen, I'm not going to let you dictate to whom I'm going to show grace. You don't get to Control me like a puppet. I'm not a spiritual slot machine. I'm not going to jump through your hoops. Jonah, he burned with anger because God did not act the way that Jonah thought he should act. God was gracious to people that Jonah didn't think he should be gracious to. Let me me close today with a couple of questions. Where do you see the heart of Jonah crop up in your life? Where do you see this older brother spirit crop up? Is it with someone at work who gets a promotion ahead of you? Is it an unbeliever who seems to be prospering and just everything seems to be going right in their life? And like like Jeremiah, I think I put the reference in here somewhere. Maybe I didn't. Jeremiah once asked, In Jeremiah 12, 1, he said, Will you be righteous? You'll be righteous, Lord, even if I bring a case against you. Yet I wish to contend with you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the righteous live at ease? In what situations do we find ourselves resenting God's blessing and God's grace in someone else's life? Let me encourage you to linger over this question. Because I promise you, where you trace the root of it, there's a work that God wants to do right in that spot of your heart. I promise you. I promise you. I've seen it in my own heart this week as I've been, studying, as I've been walking throughout this book of Jonah. It's ugly when I see that spirit of, God, why did you give that person that? Why did they get that and I didn't? But flowing out of that question, then, are there people that you're withholding grace from this morning? It could be in the form of forgiveness, the grace of forgiveness. It could be an act of generosity that God is calling you to that you refuse to let go of, maybe because your stuff's too important to you, or maybe more likely because of the person that God's calling you to minister. And are there people that you just don't want to share Christ with? Maybe a group of people because of their economic status or because of the stuff from their past or because of the color of their skin. Are there people in your life or because of their political affiliation? (laughs) Are there people in your life that you think to yourself, there's no way I'm sharing the gospel with them? They're not going to hear it from me. They don't deserve that. They've wronged me. They have hurt me. They have abused me. They have mocked me. That's the spirit of Jonah in our hearts. Saying, in one moment, oh, I desperately need you, God. I'm, I'm in a terrible place right now, and I need your forgiveness. I need your salvation. That's exactly where he was in the belly of that whale. And oh, so happy to receive it. Oh, so happy for God to rescue him from his disobedience and his near and certain death. And then the next moment later, come and we are unwilling to dole out that grace that we were so happy to receive only a moment ago, picking and choosing as to who deserves mercy. Is there a spirit of Jonah in my heart this morning? If there is, take some time to just step back and rehearse the gospel to yourself. Rehearse the good news of God's grace to you. Be reminded that you and I are no better than fill in that blank, that person, that group of people that we think are so undeserving. You and I, were are in that blank. That was us too. We're just, we've lost sight of it. We've forgotten the gospel We've forgotten that we too are sinners in desperate need of God's grace every single day. We may not have been a murderer. We may not have been a sex trafficker. We we may not have, have been greedy in the way that we perceive that person to be greedy or proud and arrogant or whatever it is that just rubs you the wrong way about them. Maybe you didn't sin in the same way but we're still in the same boat, we're still in the same camp. There's that old saying that says, the ground is all level at the foot of the cross. You and I are in daily need of the grace of God just as much as that person that we refuse to give it to. (laughs) The the great thing about all this is that this morning, (laughs) there's grace our lack of grace isn't that good news there's grace for our jonah-like hearts there's forgiveness when we struggle to forgive there's god's kindness when we struggle to be kind there's mercy when we struggle to be merciful and god longs to transform our heart i hope you'll come back next week because god's not done with jonah He's still pursuing. Jonah's not there yet. But the God of all grace is still chasing after him. And this morning, he's chasing after you, longing to pour out his grace and forgiveness upon you. I want to invite you as, you, as we pray here, if, if you'd like prayer for anything, but specifically this, or someone to just come alongside of you and encourage you in this way, we'll have some, some folks up here that would love to pray with you. Let's take a moment and bow our heads in prayer. God, I pray that you would capture us with your grace this morning. Sometimes we get gospel amnesia. We get forgetful of just how desperately we need your forgiveness. We begin to think that our sins aren't quite all that bad. Our life before we met Jesus was not all too terribly wicked. And it's easy to begin to think that we somehow, at least a little bit, have merited your favor, God. It seems pretty clear that Jonah had thought because he was an Israelite, he was a deserving recipient of your kindness and your covenant love. God, I pray that you would reveal where that is in our hearts and you would root that that entitlement to your grace sort of spirit out of us. Remind us of the depth of our sin from which we came. Not so that Satan can use it to beat ourselves up over things that we've been forgiven from, but but so that we can have this, this healthy perspective on just how desperately we needed and continue to need your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. Lord, would you reveal in our hearts where we have the spirit of the older brother, the spirit of Jonah, and we want to hold on to your mercy. We refuse to show it. We refuse to give it. We refuse to move towards them in love because of whatever reason. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts this morning. Not for the purpose of us walking out of here feeling terrible about ourselves. That's never your purpose and conviction, God. For the purpose of leading us to repentance and newness of life and this fresh depth of immersion into your grace. Because the the way that we show grace or don't show it, I, I think reveals just how much we actually understand about it. God, would you awaken our hearts, give us eyes to see the true state of our hearts so that we might turn to you in in, in repentance and receiving that forgiveness. And may we go forth and take your gospel and show your kindness to people that we never thought we would. You've been so good to us. And your word tells us, oh God, that it's your goodness and kindness that leads us to repentance. May your grace wash over us in fresh waves. We can see just see the beauty of your heart towards sinners. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May God be gracious to you this week as you serve him.